Welcome, B2B startups, change-ups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. Let's do it. Okay. Our guest today is Neil Patel. Uh, former President Barack Obama named him one of the top 100 under 30 entrepreneurs. The United Nations listed him as one of the top 100 entrepreneurs under 35 years of age. And Forbes listed him as one of the top 10 marketing gurus. And I am grateful and excited to have him on this podcast. Neil Patel, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, you're so generous with your knowledge. You've created so much incredible content uh, to help people improve their digital marketing. So this is actually a really tough interview for me to do well because I want to try to break new ground, but you've put so much out there already. Uh, So I, I want to focus on lead generation, demand generation, and your digital agency. But first, let's talk about you, okay? So right up front, tell us about your companies. Walk us through the empire you've built. Sure. So I don't know if I've built an empire, but, um, you know, I have a software company called Uber Suggest, which helps people get more traffic and SEO rankings and stuff like that. Then I have an ad agency called Neil Patel Digital, and we help people grow their traffic uh, globally through SEO, paid ads, um, conversion optimization email marketing funnels, pretty much the whole spectrum. How, how big are they? Where are they located? Are they virtual? Sure. So we have seven offices, uh, three in the United States. The rest are scattered around the world. Um, we were going to open up more uh, this year. We were, probably, we were planning on opening three to four more, but COVID hit. Uh, and we're in the marketing industry, so it also hit our business as well. Where, where are your U.S. offices? We have one in San Diego, we have one in Lehigh, which is Utah, and we have one in Chicago. And where are you based, personally? Los Angeles, California. You are, so am I. Ah, where are you based in Los Angeles? Santa Monica. Oh, we're, we're, we're close miles-wise, we're far traffic-wise. I'm in okay. uh, Hollywood. In? Hollywood. In Hollywood, okay, West Hollywood? I'm in West Hollywood, yeah. Got it, got it. I, um, I went to Bancroft Elementary, which is the oh, West Hollywood cool. Elementary School. Oh, cool. Um, okay, so, so intelligence rests at the intersection of data sets. Truth is triangulated. One of your earliest investments was a company called WalkScore, a data service that rated schools and neighborhoods and was quickly integrated into the major real estate apps because... When you triangulate real estate information with neighborhood scores, that information becomes more useful. Crazy Egg, Kissmetrics, Hello Bar, they're all services that when coupled with Google Analytics add value as well. So when you're looking at investing in tech startups, where in your investment strategy does interoperability rank against other factors like addressable market size, recurring revenue, and total lifetime customer value? It's up there. Um, the biggest one that I probably look at is team because ideas are a dime a dozen and the company that you invest in today usually isn't the company that you end up exiting with or ends up folding, right? Because not all companies work out. Majority of startups don't work out. Um, so I look at the team. You know, is the team really good? Are they able to solve problems, figure things out on their own? 
a great example is, is I had a call the other day with someone who went to one of the most popular incubators and he's an Ivy league educated person. His business partner is also from Ivy league schools. And he asked me, he's just like, and I asked him, why don't they try to go after big contracts, you know, with hospitals and stuff like he's like, yeah, you know, uh, we're looking for salespeople that can help us with this. If you know anyone, let us know. And he's like, yeah, I'd love to pick your brain on that. On the flip side, I talked to someone a few weeks ago who's creating a truck driving uh, or a marketplace for truck drivers. Uh, the company's called Fleeting. And the founder's name is Pierre. He didn't go to school uh, or college. He went to school, but he didn't go to college. And he's just like, yeah, I got contracts with like Albertsons and some really big companies. I'm like, how'd you get them? He's like, I just kept emailing and calling him until I got to the right person and convinced him to use my product. And he has quite a few big companies that use him. I'm like, how'd you get them all? He's like, oh, I just pick up the phone and keep calling until I can try to find the right person to convince him. I'm like, do you specialize in sales? He's like, no, I just do whatever it takes. I'm looking for that founder who has that grit, the passion, who can figure things out on their own, who will push through it thick and thin versus the person who wants guidance and help and wants to rely on other people. So, so today's, you know, gospel is data-driven decision-making. Yeah. Uh, but you often admit that it took you years to build your audience, but you stuck it out, right? You stayed with it long enough until it started to work. You didn't have data to show you in the early days that it was working, but you persisted, right? Which means Correct. You, couldn't have, you couldn't have been data-driven because there wasn't enough data, right? So, so I guess my, my question is, as an investor and a marketer, just how disciplined are you and how often do you disregard the metrics and just go with your gut? So I go with my gut quite a bit. Um, for example, I'm really big on branding and I believe if you build a brand, you can build something big. If you look at most of the big companies out there, they have really popular brands. You don't, you, you don't one day wake up being like, I need new shoes Let me uh, for playing basketball. Let me go Google and figure out what shoe I should buy. Most people are just like, all right, I'm going to go buy a pair of Nikes, right? When you want a car, most people don't Google being like, what car should I get? You already have an idea. Oh, I love BMW. I love Mercedes. I love Ferrari, whatever the brand is. When you want a credit card, you already know you're going to go through American Express, Visa, MasterCard, one of those big brands, right? Because you know them. They're sunken in your head. I'm a big believer in branding. And I believe there's a tipping point. And once you have enough exposure, it really works well in your favor in the long run. But you've got to dump a ton of money, time, and resources into branding. And that's something that most companies aren't willing to invest in, nor are investors. Um, but if you have the right product or service, I believe if you don't have, it's worth putting a lot of money into brand. So, you know, um, Gosh, maybe 15 years ago, I founded a company called iPressroom, which was the first online newsroom management service for non-technical people. And at the time, I was director of promotions at a big PR firm. Uh, so many of my listeners and listeners of this podcast started in earned media, and I helped them expand into owned and shared media relations, which is something you're a master of. So, so let's segue over to lead generation and demand generation, and let's start with an overview discussion before we get down into the weeds, what's the difference between lead generation and demand generation? Break it down for us. 
Sure. So lead generation is you're going out there and you're generating leads, whether it's through paid advertising, whether it's through affiliates, whether it's through television advertising, um, whether it's through content, right? Creating content, putting it out there, social media, whatever it may be. When you think about lead generation, you're doing whatever to get a lead. And uh, your second part of the question is demand generation. The demand generation is a little bit different, um, but part of it is in lead generation. What I mean by that is demand generation rolls up so you can use that to generate leads as well. And demand generation in general is going and creating demand. So what I mean by that is I can go and I can educate people on how to get more website traffic. And when I create that demand, that education, there's going to be a lot of people like, yes, I need that. Where do I go? How do I end up getting it? And they end up signing it up, right? Um, so in essence, what you're doing is you're putting out a lot of goodwill to create that viralness, to create that word of mouth that ends up causing people to keep coming back to you um, to buy your products and services. Neil, Neil, you're, you're so prolific. You get so much done in terms of content and getting it out there and also investing in companies and having, having the digital agency and, and um, uh, Uber suggest and the other companies you've been involved with. Talk to us a little bit about resource requirements. How many hours does it take to publish a killer top ranking blog post? Sure. So it takes, so the one I just released, it took me five hours to write. I started writing on Saturday, started writing around noon. I finished around 5 p.m. Uh, and then I sent it to Grant to edit it. Uh, that one took me longer than normal, but usually I can crank them out in two hours. So, so it's you and an editor. That's it? I mean, what about visuals? I do my own visuals. I'll take screenshots, upload them, uh, or I'll buy stock photography. I usually don't use stock photography, but usually just screenshots. And, and at your organization, I mean, are there others that are also creating, you know, blog posts for you and are they as quick? It's, it's just you, huh? It's just me. I'll write one a week, so it's not too bad. So you oh, don't have an army yeah, of 40 that's people? A lot. I, I do have people helping me out for the other languages. So like my blog posts get translated into Portuguese or German or Italian. I don't speak those languages. So I do have help on that. Technically, I just write the English version and they do the rest. What about on the promotion side? Do you, do you use support for that? No, I just push it out to my social channels, send out an email blast, send out a push notification. I'm good to go. Okay. All right. Talk to me about Neil Patel Digital's ideal customer profile. Who's a good fit for your agency? So a good fit for my agency is any company that's trying to grow faster online. We have an S&D division. We have an enterprise division anyone who's already established like they're up and running and they're just trying to get more traffic and sales. And those are the type of people that we help. In terms of tools, are you or anyone on your team using uh, SEMrush, SEO writing assistant or ClearScope or ink for all, or any of these drafting tools to sort of use AI to figure out how long it should be and, you know, semantically what words to include. My team probably does. I do not. I just go and write. Technically, I know my team does. I don't know which ones they use, but I do know that they do. I just go and write. And I try to write based on what I think a user wants, and I don't worry about robots. So that actually answers my next question. There's no predefined stack 
that employees use, you let them use whatever they want. Correct. Yes. And then I guess you judge their, you know, uh, the, the, how well they did based on, you know, the performance of the content. Yeah. Traffic, social shares, comments, uh, how many leads did it generate or sales did it generate the ROI, right? Things like that. Are, are you a good typer? Like, are you a killer typer? I'm pretty fast. Yeah. Um, do you, do you ever use uh, uh, dictation technology as, you know, blogs become more conversational? I don't, I can just, I can crank it out really fast. And, and you use that process of, you know, the opening, the conclusion, the subs, and then you fill them in. Exactly. I've been doing that for a long time and it works and it streamlines the whole thing. Now, what's your process for coming up with the best headline? Take us through that A to Z. Sure. So uh, you can check out CopyBlogger Headline Formula. They have some articles on how to create a headline. But what I do is I go into Uber Suggest. I go into the content ideas report, which you can find on the left side. And I'll type in some keywords that are related to the article that I'm writing. And it'll show me all the popular articles around the web based on social shares. And that gives me ideas on what people like and what they don't from a headline perspective. And then from there, I'll come up with my own variations. And I'll have like five or six examples. And I send it to my uh, editor, Grant. And between him and I, we pick which one we think is the best. And then I'll go in and write. And, and you start with a headline, right? You do that before you even write. Correct. Um, it's all about the headline. When it comes to podcast headlines, do you spice those up a little differently or do you just rerun the blog headline as, as the uh, podcast headline? Sometimes we run the blog headline as a podcast headline, but most of the time it's unique content. Uh, we have someone on uh, our team who comes up with headlines. They put it in an Excel sheet and then I'll modify them. And then Eric and I just go and record and we literally do it off the cuff. So I'm modifying them as we're recording the episode. So we're recording an episode and I'm modifying the headline for the next episode right then and there because we will record like 10 episodes at once. So while we're recording episode number one, I'm, rec I'm working on the headline for episode number two as we're recording episode number two. I'm working on the headline for episode number three, et cetera. So when you're recording episodes, are you pretty much going into it and doing them off the cuff? Or do you... Yeah, you all off the cuff. Nothing you don't planned. decide in advance what we're going to cover and write it out. No notes, no script. At just, what point did you shift over to doing it that way? Because there must have been a point when you started with a script. No, I never did the script. I've always been off the cuff type of person. Even when I present at conferences, it's always been off the cuff from day one. Wow. Uh, that's impressive. I mean, that saves you a lot of time. Uh, it, it's easier for me because I'm dyslexic. And then I'm not the strongest reader. So if I read to myself, like I'm reading an article, I, I read probably hours a day, like three, four hours. If I read in my head, I can read extremely fast and I go through it. If I have to read from a teleprompter or it's rehearsed, I'm much slower. I don't know why my brain processes just a little bit differently. Um, but when I'm off the cuff, I'm good to go. So it's easier for me. What's your thought on audiograms? You know, those, those shares on social media that convert... Uh, it's, uh, audio to a still image where you see a waveform and picture of the person and, uh, and, uh, and you know, the, 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 the line. Uh, yeah. Moving. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't really care from, if you're going to do video, do it right with tons of video and images and actually moving images or whatever you want to end up calling it. 
technically it would be a video, but uh, I'm not big on just a still image. People want video because they want to see things happen. Okay. So, so this is a big one. Okay. What's the hardest keyword you've ever ranked for? Take us through it. Soup to nuts. Uh, I ring for a lot of hard keywords, but the process in almost all cases is the same. So like I ring for online gambling, online casino, auto insurance, web hosting, uh, online poker, uh, credit cards. So I ring for a lot of those kind of terms that are probably super competitive. I've even ranked for one word terms like cars and stuff like that. Um, so the, the, the real process behind it is I Google to see who's ranking in the top 10, not the domain, the actual pages. I look to see what content they have because most people that rank are content rich. And then what I do is I go and create better content than them. And I just do more in depth, more images, more graphics, not for the sake of adding images or graphics, but ones that actually convey the story, right? Like if I, if I want to rank for online poker, I would actually have a detailed graphic that breaks down how to play poker. I would show examples, maybe video tutorials, all these kind of things, how to bluff, how not to bluff, you know, uh, when to double up, when not to double up, how much you should bet depending on your cards. Like I would get really specific more than the competition, make it super actionable, make it dummy proof. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but assume like, or newbie proof is probably a better word um, in which when there's someone new reading, it breaks it down step by step. So they know how to do it without uh, being confused. So once you got the content, then I would promote it on the social web, um, email all the people I link to, ask them to link back and share the content on the social web. I would go manually hit up all the people that link to everyone in the top 100 for that keyword, tell them how my content's better, ask them to link to me, um, and then rinse and repeat and continue doing it for multiple pages, multiple keywords. Uh, and then, of course, you want to make sure you interlink your pages together as well. I'm sure you probably have already shared some uh, templates on what those asks sound like when you go to somebody and ask them to link to you. Do you want to maybe mention that here so people could find them? Sure. There's a ton of them on neilpatel.com. If you just Google Neil Patel link building templates or you Google like Neil Patel social sharing templates, you should find some. Um, and they just tell you what to send out in an email. Okay. So, um, in addition to this podcast, the B2B lead gen podcast, I do this weekly webinar called PR tech Wednesdays. And it's great because I get to talk to really smart people who know a lot more than me and ask them all these difficult questions and they answer them. And I learn a ton and I love to learn. So I do this live thing every Wednesday from 12 to one. So recently I started live streaming it, right? So now I stream it to three different places and then I said, well, you know, maybe I should re release it as a podcast as well. So now I take a recording and I release it on uh, iTunes and Spotify. And then, you know, if I'm really jazzed about the interview, I'll write up a long blog post of everything I learned. Yeah. So, so there's the sequence, webinar, live streaming, blog post, podcast. How should I be doing that? Should I be putting out one blog post? with the podcast and the embedded uh, YouTube video and everything in it, or should I be staggering them out one at a time? No, just do whatever's natural. So like if I podcast, sometimes we'll live stream. And if it makes sense to write a blog post on it, I'll write a blog post later on. Uh, or if I create a YouTube video, I don't always create a blog post or sometimes I'll create a blog post and not turn it into a YouTube video. There is no right or wrong way. Do whatever works because some of the content that you'll cover 
won't make sense in a podcast format because it would be too step-by-step. You may need screen recordings and sharings and all that. Some of it may make sense where you can do it in a video and you can do it in a blog post. So it really depends on the content type, the format, whatever makes sense for the audience and just push. It's an amazing message. What I'm getting from you, I mean, you're basically a modern day magazine editor. You're all about just how do you make the best content? What format is the best to convey that content? And don't feel like you're stuck and you have to release everything on YouTube if it doesn't belong on YouTube. That's very liberating. Thank you for that. Um, Okay, so Single Grain, um, Eric Sue's company specializes in SaaS marketing. If you were starting a digital marketing agency today, what markets are underserved? There could be more that's doing local. Um, there could be more that does B2B SaaS specifically for SMBs, like self-service SaaS. Does that make sense? So I'm not talking about like Microsoft type of SaaS. I'm talking about more like a MailChimp type of SaaS where they're selling something for free or $10 a month. Or uh, suggest. Exactly. Uh, local, as I mentioned, e-commerce is crowded. Um, the other area, believe it or not, Legion, there's not a lot of marketing companies that only specialize in Legion that are doing a good job. You get some that do the traffic side, but you don't get too many that do traffic and conversions really well. Because in Legion, if you get them a ton of traffic, but they don't get the conversions, it doesn't matter. So are there any other niche markets that you've seen out there? Like I know when you were in high school, you sold aftermarket auto parts to yeah. your friends and stuff. Like what about that? Have you kept your eyes on the automotive aftermarket? Is that a hot know. industry? I mean, is there some little niche out there that you're like, wow, if I was starting today, I'd go after that industry. So think of it in a different approach. Instead of saying, if I'm starting today, I would go after this industry. I would more so think about it. And here's the industries I know. And here's where my connections are. And that'll typically give you an idea where to niche down. So for example, if I had a ton of healthcare contacts, I would have done a pharmaceutical marketing agency and started there because pharmaceuticals spend so much money on uh, drugs and they don't even track the ROI. There's just more impressions and mind share than it is on how many pills did you sell for me today with how much you're spending. But again, if you don't have those connections, it's hard to get into that space. I would start based on where you have your Rolodex, uh, where your friends connected with, and that should give you an idea of where you should niche down at first. What are some complex challenges clients are coming at you with today? And how are they different from, you know, pre-lockdown? Uh, we haven't seen too many differences. Most of the companies we deal with, some of them have brick and mortar sides, but most of them are web-based. Uh, and their challenges are things that we can't help with, like, uh, we're running out of inventory because e-commerce is booming right now, right? Um, but in general, they're more so, they want to grow and get the demand and not much has changed because we're not really dealing with like restaurants or brick and mortar businesses and scale, if that makes sense. In terms of sites that are getting crushed because of Google updates, uh, why is that happening? Uh, Google tries to do what's best for a user. Uh, their algorithm's not perfect. They know that. Uh, but their algorithm is darn near perfect and amazing. Uh, you know, as marketers, we may hate it, but just think of it this way. How often do you go on Google and do a search every day? Chances are you probably use it every day, and I bet you do a lot of searches. 
if they sucked and their algorithm was terrible, then you wouldn't be using them. So we may hate the algorithms, but the algorithms are what's producing better results uh, for us as end users. And that's why when people tell me like, how do I beat the algorithm in this? And I'm like, stop optimizing for the algorithm, start optimizing for the end user. because that's what Google's optimizing for. So I saw that you increased your traffic 58% by removing date lines from your URLs. But I also noticed that you don't have date lines in your blog posts. Now, credible media outlets include date lines. How is not including a date line, with all due respect, putting the reader first? Yeah, so my content's evergreen. So if I write news-related content that won't be relevant forever, I would add dates. If you're writing an article on how to install a toilet, a, a date, like putting today's date, doesn't really help the person. If you're writing news, dates are very relevant. But if you're trying to teach people things like how to install a toilet, how to read a Google Analytics report, whether an article is written a year ago or today, it doesn't really make a difference. The other thing too is I have a team of three people that just update existing content each and every single day to make sure it's updated. So let's say I have an article on My, MySpace marketing. Well, if MySpace is no longer around and they're not doing well, my team just deletes it. Or they'll see if it's worth updating. Another example is Vine. We had a popular article on our site about Vine. Twitter crushed Vine. It no longer exists. We deleted it. So we just try to keep things really up to date on a daily basis as well. It's a great answer because a magazine article, a feature article, does not have a dateline. So it makes perfect sense. So you have this three-person team updating old content. If you were advising a company on building a three-person team to update their old content, what, how would that, how, who would you hire? Who does what? How does that work? I would just hire editors and writers, and they each go in, and they need to know the subject space. Uh, uh, they need to know the subject matter really well. And they just go in, and they update based on what they seem thinks good. Uh, and then the, we have one other person, Grant, who manages the team of three writers to make sure that the update quality is high, it's good, it's accurate, et cetera. If someone was looking to hire someone um, that knows their space, that could handle this world, how would you advise them? Where would they go to find that? Jobs, Jobs.problogger.net. There's a lot of those writers there. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. So I was talking to Anna Lebedeva, the head of growth from SEM Rush on a previous podcast about international marketing. And she said that what works in US from a content standpoint doesn't work in Brazil, doesn't work in Eastern Europe, doesn't work in Scandinavia, doesn't necessarily work in Australia. And she <laughs> talked about kind of how she niches out her content to work in each different audience. You've been talking about Ahrefs Lang, and you've also talked about how well you're doing in Brazil. And one of the things she mentioned about Brazil was she said, you know, they're really good at content marketing in Brazil, but they're not as good at technical F SEO. So is that your experience? Do you think beginner content is sort of doing better because maybe they're a little further behind the curve? Or what do you attribute the, uh, the interest in Brazil to? Yeah, uh, she's right in which, or and you are as well, in which Brazil's a little bit behind. Uh, I don't mean that in a bad way, but they're catching up very fast. There's a ton of smart people in Brazil. The beginner content does extremely well. The technical stuff doesn't do as well. Um, but it's slowly changing because we've been in Brazil for a long time, so we're seeing the change. Uh, and yeah, when you go international, 
having people on the ground in those regions helps a lot. So that way you can understand the audience, the culture, what they need. And you can't just translate your content from English. You got to transcribe it and adjust it to that market. Um, great. Okay. Now talk to us a little bit about, you know, you do all this content on YouTube and um, you know, it's very clean. The image looks great and it's edited and there's graphics and everything. Break down sort of the gear that you use and what goes into producing a high quality video for YouTube. I'm probably a bad person to answer that because I use a guy on my team named Pasquale and I just show up, shoot, and Carlos and Caitlin come up with the topics. I literally just go in there. I have headlines. There's a teleprompter. Um, I don't use a teleprompter most of the time, but it's there just in case for reference. I go in and I shoot and uh, someone puts it up on YouTube and edits it and they do all that stuff and... I don't really have to do anything there. I just have to go in and record. Is that in the San Diego office? No, that's virtual. Caitlin's, I think, based out of Minnesota. Pasquale's Los Angeles. Carlos is somewhere in Brazil. So Pasquale is a freelance uh, videographer that you hire, not, not a full-time team member. And he, so basically, you just outsource to the best and let them deal with it. Yeah. And then who does your editing? He does. He records and edits. Wow. Wow. He's fantastic. He does a great job for you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, how many videos do you produce at a time when you go in? Usually 12 on the low and 15 on the high end. 12 to 15. And mm -hmm. you just go in and wing it. You go in and say, okay, here's as you're. I, I do, but they give me titles and outlines and I have a teleprompter in case I need help. Who are they? Uh, Carlos and Caitlin. And then Curtis manages the teleprompter. So Pasquale is recording. Curtis uh, scrolls with the teleprompter as well. Even though, because the teleprompter isn't where I can usually read it line for line. It's more so the notes well, are there. Exactly. Let's switch back over now to the weeds on lead generation and demand generation. And I want to talk about pop-ups, you know, because I'm a Hello Bar customer. I use the tool. I get a lot of value out of it. I see, you know, conversions coming out of it um, versus these sort of content injections that are specific to a page. Um, so rather than overlaying a pop-up or putting a pop-up on the side or a banner up on top, uh, hello bar, something like that, what, what, when would you decide to use a content injection like a Sumo product directly in the body of a post versus, uh, you know, some sort of a pop-up? You can use either or. Um, what we found is when you do the injection, it works out great. The problem is, is most people aren't going to take the time to go modify hundreds of pages and then create custom stuff for that page. So people should do it, but most people don't because they don't want to put in the time and effort. Right. So it's just a, it's just a practical solution. But I guess you could, could, it wouldn't be too tough to take a look at the top performing pages and do content injections on those. Correct. But when you ask people to do them, you're lucky if 5% of the people even do it from what we've seen. Talk to me about the Because Hello Bar used to have content injection features. It's just very few people used it. Interesting. So you removed them. Correct. Wow. And then I think they're now adding email, which rolls out in a month or so. So then you can collect and then you can follow up and do all that stuff as well. 
talk to me about the pecking order in the world of SEO media. You know, you've got Search Engine Journal versus Search Engine Land. And then you've also got all these SaaS companies like HubSpot uh, that are creating content as well. So kind of what's, and then there's you, obviously. So what's sort of the hierarchy of, you know, the world of SEO media? So I don't think there's really a hierarchy. I think it's more so whoever puts out good information is who's going to get the eyeballs. Right? And different sites have different information. And that's why it does really well. Like Search Engine Roundtable isn't the most popular site, but he tends to produce the most content on updates, algorithm changes in real time than anyone else. Search Engine Land does a lot of good news stuff. Uh, people like me, HubSpot, Moz, uh, Backlinko, we're more tactic-oriented, Search Engine Journal, tactics and news. So everyone has their own you know, flavor and their audience adapts based on what they're looking for. So if you're looking for news and tips, you may go to Search Engine Journal. If you're looking just for strategies, you may check me out. If you're looking purely for news, you may go to Search Engine Land. If you're looking for data on algorithm updates, you may use Search Engine Roundtable. But there's no wrong or right place. A lot of people cover a little bit of everything. But when you think about authority, what is the most prestigious news outlet that covers SEO? Search Engine Land, probably, if I had a place one, I would probably put it there. Prior to the pandemic, were you speaking at a lot of conferences? I was. Tons. Not anymore, though. So when you look at a source of leads for Neil Patel Digital, how would you break it down versus like, you know, on the webs, uh, organic search, it's the podcast, the talking? It's almost all web, uh, the blog. Majority comes from the blog. Not, not from the podcast. By far is the web for us. Um, why are, what, what, what makes you so generous that you create all this content? Um, because, you know, you, did, you don't really need to do that to be able to, uh, you know, earn, earn what you earn and be who you are now that you've come to a certain level. What is it that drives you to continue making all this content? I love it. It's fun for me. Like I told my team, we release a free SEO training course called SEO Unlocked. And then I told my team, I want to release a course a month. So after that one's over, we're going to do one in e-commerce marketing. Then we'll probably get into a few other niches, like maybe uh, SaaS marketing, maybe lead gen, whatever it may be. And I'm like, I want a course a month. And just release it out there, give everything away for free, PDF, cheat sheets, templates, just give it all away and let's have fun doing it. And I like it. Uh, so final question. Um, I want to talk for a minute about neilpatel.com. When I pull up a built with report on neilpatel.com, I see you've tried a lot of things over the years, but now, you know, what you're using seems to be pretty selective. Yeah. I mean, you know, it seems like you've actually adopted Hotjar. Uh, in and out. So sometimes Hotjar is running live. Uh, and let's, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm using right now. I think Hotjar has been removed. Uh, let's see. Last detected uh, April. Last detected April. Uh, and you're an Infusionsoft guy. I'm an Infusionsoft guy. I use Infusionsoft. I use 
so some of them go in and out because I'll remove them as I stop using them, right? But um, I'll use Infusionsoft, like the hot dark code isn't on my site right now. So once I stop, I remove it for page speed. Uh, so we build a lot of stuff to optimize for page speed. So we don't use a lot of external tools as much. Uh, but yes, from Infusionsoft to ConvertKit to Hotjar to Crazy Egg to uh, Optimizely to VWO to um, Google Optimize to Google Analytics, we've used a lot over the years and we just try to reduce, reduce, reduce to try to speed up the site. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? NeilPatel.com. Awesome. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time. Neil, I'm grateful to you.